Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. The following episode contains discussions about sexual abuse and assault, which may disturb some listeners. If you or someone you know needs support, please seek help in your region. In Canada, you can view resources via endingviolencecanada.org. And in the U.S., visit rainn.org for info about the RAIN National Sexual Assault Hotline. Please consider supporting Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. They are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hey, this is Nicole calling from Hamilton, and I needed to let everyone know that I really proudly support Beach and creative control. I have for many years, I will for many more, as long as he keeps delivering these amazing interview podcasts. When you hear one of Beach's interviews, you think he's known this guest for years, they're good friends, uh, but the truth is he approaches every interview, whether it's sort of up-and-coming indie artists or established icons or like famous intimidating comedians with uh, a really deep, genuine curiosity, so he's never met this person, and the same really warm uh, candor, as so he's known them forever. I think it really lends to a great chat, no matter who he's talking to, and for that reason, I think you should throw Vish, like, what, a dollar a month? He's got jokes. The jokes make it worth it. Support Creative Control on Patreon. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash Control today. I'm Visha's wife, and remember, when you name a dog Janet or Timothy, you are dragging humanity down just a little bit. Meg Remy is an uncompromising musician, singer, producer, performer, and writer who calls Toronto, Ontario home. Originally from Illinois, Remy is renowned as the driving force behind U.S. Girls, an incredible and prolific musical entity whose most recent album, Heavy Light, was released in 2020 via Royal Mountain Records in Canada and 4AD worldwide. In the spring of 2021, Book Hug Press published Remy's first book, a devastatingly personal story about abuse, 
that also operates as a shrewd cultural analysis and media critique that is artfully written and structured. It's called Begin by Telling, and it prompted Meg to return to this show so we could catch up about her giving birth to and raising twins in Toronto, dental hygiene, how the live music business was going virtual even before it had to, Woodstock 99 and the recent HBO documentary about it, having empathy for people like Michael Jackson and Donald Trump, why and how she wrote Begin by Telling, how it's impacted her family, and how it might impact victims of abuse and other readers, some forthcoming tour dates that were actually cancelled since we recorded this conversation, so please don't turn up at those shows, working on new U.S. girls' music and a forthcoming album, other future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you, who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creativecontrol with additional support from Blackbird Music, a well-stocked record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, and friendly staff who will happily help you source special orders for hard-to-find titles, which you can learn more about at blackbird.ca, plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton. This is the 632nd episode of Creative Control, featuring the fearless and brilliant Meg Remy, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Meg. How's it going? All right. How are you, Vish? I'm, I'm all right. I'm also all right. I, I think I know where you are, but I'm going to ask anyway for the benefit of everyone listening. Where in the world are you, Meg? Etobicoke, Ontario. Etobicoke, Ontario. Are you still in the same yeah. place? Oh, yeah. The sa- same. How's that Never going? Never leaving. Can't leave. <laughs> Only place we can afford. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's true. It's a nice place. I like that place. Yeah, it's great. Uh, every time I visit it. How's it going generally, would you say? With this, with where I live, or my life? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I meant, I, I mean, sure, both. You live, you live, you live your life in a place, so I think it's yes. all connected. Uh, yeah, no, just generally. I just thought I would check. We haven't talked in about a year, at least a year and a bit. Uh, yeah, I think. I think more. Yeah, yeah, more than a year. I think so. We talked for the last record, right? Is that what? Have yeah. you late? Is that what we talked? I yeah, believe so. A, yeah. And then maybe the odd message here and there. So I don't, mm-hmm. I know, I have a sense of how things are going, but I want, yeah. I want to hear it from you. I, well, how are things going? Well, I'm deep in momhood, parenthood, mm-hmm. whatever you'd like to call it. And Congratulations. Congratulations. Yes. Is that, do people congratulate people, parents? I think I've, I've been congratulated. That. People do say that. I don't know. It's strange to be congratulated for other people's lives you know it had twins and so there's two lives we're speaking of and yeah it's like you know maybe i helped create the possibility for those lives but it's their lives so i don't know if i should be congratulated i'm feeding them so i guess i'm keeping them alive so you know breastfeeding twins is not easy and i'm doing it and i'm pretty proud of that not that twins yeah twins that that is i don't know anyone with twins and so 
I I know I I have a pair of children, but we space them out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and they're a fair amount of work, uh, and you don't have any, probably anything to relate it to or to compare it to. You don't know what it's like to have one kid or two. It's, I assume it's a lot of work and you're, you're managing okay. Is that fair? Yeah, it's, it is a lot of work. I think, you know, one or two or however many it's, uh, you know, we, when we see someone with one baby, we think that they don't know nothing, you know what I mean? Kind of thing. But like, <laughs> it it's not... Our two babies is, is the same as someone's one, you know, like it's just hard. It's, you know, there's no yes. sleep no matter what. And it's a steep learning curve and you just kind of you dive into it. But we, you know, we wanted to do this. So we're game for it. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's it's exciting. Every day is the same and new. <laughs> it's It's like, yeah, Groundhog Day with like special sauce or something. I don't know. It's so strange. It's like a groundhog groundhog day with like different filters. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, yeah. yeah. It's kind of the same but it's also not. Yeah. yeah. And then uh yeah, it, it how everything happens sort of incrementally. Uh the change. Uh yeah. 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 It's strange. So you you have some uh, support network there. I believe you're I For mean your sure. partner Max Max's family's around. I know that. You're yeah. you're your your family's still in the states, is that right? Yep, they're in the states, but we've right. had like just for, you know, friends just we people bringing us we had people bringing us food for the first 2 months, which was amazing. Dinner, mm-hmm. you know, dinner every night, which was huge. It really kept us going. It's still now, you know, now that our kind of free meal train as they call it, it was over every night with what are we going to have for dinner that's probably the hardest yeah. part is to to feed to take care of yourselves basically i've yep. said this a million times but there's been times where i'm going to bed and i realized i hadn't brushed my teeth yet it's right. like shit you know i hadn't thought about myself all day so it's <laughs> it's hard to yeah it's hard to take care of yourself and eat good and not just eat sugar and you know, drink coffee and these kinds of things. So, are you? Uh, I I would describe myself as an ardent toothbrusher. Are you an ardent <laughs> toothbrusher? <laughs> I love brushing my teeth. I do it all now since the pandemic. I do it after lunch, which is new. I used to never do that. But if I have like a yeah sweet sweet drink, I have a sweet tooth. But I'm also an ardent toothbrusher. And you pointed it out. That's why uh, I, I like to. It's important to you to brush your teeth. Actually, flossing's more important to me. I, I yeah, floss I more than I brush. Like it, it yeah. won't be uncommon for me to floss after lunch or even a breakfast or something. But brush, I usually only brush when I wake up when I go to bed. Now, I'm lucky if I brush it all. So, okay. yeah, no, I, I, I never was. And I'm a new flosser. I think I've only been flossing for, I'm th- like maybe six years or something. Have I had any impact on your flossing regimen? I feel no. like I talk to people about flossing all the time. <laughs> no, it was gigantic uh, dentist bills. Oh, the bills, you right. You know, and it's like the only way to avoid paying big dentist bills is to take care of your teeth. I will tell you that that's not true because I'll tell you this. Yeah. I flo- yeah. I'm an also, I, I will tell you this about me. I'm also an ardent flosser. Mm-hmm. I'm also a flosser that needs to be entertained while I'm flossing. So I yeah. have to watch like an episode of Seinfeld. Or something while I'm flossing, or I have to go on YouTube. I can't just floss by myself. <laughs> so I'm, you I'm, hate I'm, silence? Well, I generally do. That's an, that's an astute point. I do probably hate silence, but there's just something about the task. 
I, mm-hmm. I do it every single day. I floss. This is why I brought up my... Because flossing make, would make you silent. <laughs> so That's I true. wonder. You oh, you mean in terms uh, of not talking, like not being able to communicate with people. Yes, that's fair. That might yeah. be true. But by that, I floss at the in the evenings. I don't. Uh, you, that's amazing that you floss at lunchtime too. No, what I, I the reason I bring it up is for many years now I've been a proponent of something I call the toothbrush diet. Okay. And I feel like I, I've probably told I tell everyone this, and you know me, I'm a blowhard. I probably told it to you too. So what I used to do when the kids were born, I figured out that because we were eating a bit earlier. Have you found that? Do you eat dinner a bit earlier just to accommodate the kids? Oh or I guess it's a bit, God, it just depends. It's random sometimes for you, it's like right four, now. Yeah. sometimes it's like eight. I don't, we're, we don't yeah, have yeah. a schedule. Right. It's random right now. Maybe yeah. that'll change. It may not. Who knows? But anyway, yeah. we were eating dinner so early. And I started to realize that like you're not supposed to eat uh, food, really, after like 7 p.m. You mm-hmm. know, your body needs to slow down so you can sleep and it doesn't want to be working. Because if you eat and then you go to sleep, your body has to be like, oh, fuck. I thought we were done, but now I guess we got to break all this food down. Thanks a lot. You have a nice nap. So I realize, and then you, you're not burning it off. So you just, you feel heavy. So I decided to, I would floss and brush my teeth by like 7 p.m. And to, because I'm a little cheap as well, that would prevent me from eating after that point. Because if I, if I did, you know, the people at Long Winter used to make fun of me because I would go to the Long Winter Festival and they'd say, hey, the snack table, you want some chips? I'm like, nope, I already flossed my teeth. They're yeah. like, what? I'm like, I already brushed and flossed my teeth. If I eat that now, I got to go back to Guelph and then floss and brush my teeth again. <laughs> That's a waste of resources. I'll be wasting floss and toothpaste and mm-hmm. then I'll, it's not good. So that's why I asked if maybe you heard tell of my flossing uh, championship. I don't know what the word is, but I've been support. I'm a proponent of flossing. And I appreciate yours as well. Yeah, That's all no. I wanted to say. I would say, though, that some people say you are supposed to eat at night and who, even who overnight. Says that? Well, because your body, like, and drink water. Like, the concept that, that you're, like, it, it's, you know, it's annoying to have to get up and pee, but your body needs energy yeah. over that long period for healing itself and running all the systems still. I don't you know. think you're, but that, but okay, fine. You're just countering my. I'm just saying. I'm just, I'm, I'm not a doctor or a scientist. <laughs> I just feel like you probably shouldn't be eating past a certain point. And then I was trying to do a good thing. I found, to be honest, not that I was really counting my calories, but I lost weight doing this. Wow. I was like, yeah, because the snacks you have at the end of the day, you're kind of defeated. So it's like, for me anyway, it's like I was trying to do almonds. Uh-huh. But that's not very. It's not very satisfying. Then I was like, crackers. Crackers aren't so bad. But then you actually look at the box. You're like, oh no, this is bad. You shouldn't be having crackers. Yeah, they're not good for you, really. And then chips, like all the stuff that you're like, yeah, it's the end of the day. I deserve a treat. Or or uh, I don't generally have like ice cream late at night, like yeah. sweets. But I but I do have a sweet tooth. So all this to say, it was meant to be a disciplinary <laughs> thing for me, and I think it's helped me. And and then I like the idea that I catch up on some media. There like, you go. Like a, or, or like the Seinfeld show. I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's hot. It's like a big show. So I like to be like, what is everyone talking about? I better floss my teeth and catch up with culture. Uh-huh. So I watch a Seinfeld. I watch a Seinfeld. Yeah. Anyway, that's just what I do. Anyway, it's good. I'm glad you're, <laughs> I'm glad you're good. And yes. I, I say, I said congratulations and I, I've been dwelling on that since I said it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, that's what you say to someone when they're celebrating something, right? Like, yeah. I don't, it's, there's all kinds of weird language I find or interesting language around giving birth and 
parenting and and all of that in general you know like when you someone like a baby's born i wish we were saying like somehow i don't know what the language would be but like welcome also someday goodbye or something like because when a baby when your baby's born in that exact moment you're celebrating also that it will die you know oh well geez that's an interesting well it's true it's, and that I, I think I, like I suppose that is true that yeah. we don't find joy in that and beauty in that like we're helping perpetuate another you know cycle being going through a cycle that, mm. that these children are going to go through a cycle the way that we we have been and we will and our parents did and forever back and back and back and the, how the earth has its cycles and these things like you know but instead it's yeah it's mostly the focus is just on the now which well i te- it's funny that you it's interesting rather that you put it that way because i don't think i valued my life more my own life more mm-hmm. since my children were children were born. I've talked about this for people. Yeah. Like, think of all the times when I would go to Toronto, living in Guelph, and I would go to Toronto and be barreling home on a oh yeah on a hi- highway yeah. at one or two in the morning after a concert or something. Yeah. And, and or touring, like I was always the person when uh, when we were on tour, I would be the driver. And yeah. I would frequently, hey, we're playing in Windsor or we're playing in Chicago, wherever we're playing. Let's just go now. Like, let's yeah. not find a hotel. Let's. I can do it. It's fine. And I would just push myself. But yeah. in a weird sense, and I know you know this very well. This is part of your life and your work. That's dangerous. Like, it's inherently dangerous. Some of the stuff we do, uh, or you do in particular, in terms of being a touring musician and whatnot. Um, I mean, it's a risk. It's not dangerous. I, I don't mean to sound like a worry wart. I mean, but yeah, every time you get in a car, you never know really what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, no, so I feel I just the same mean, way. I don't. Yeah. Whereas before, I never really. Yeah. Now I, I think I have a kind of fear creeping in around my own death, which I know my mother. My mother used to be terrified of flying. Terrified, terrified, terrified. I mean, yeah. she had to take pills to get on the plane, kind of thing. Like then, one. I'm the I'm the youngest kid. Once I was out of the house, you know, in my twenties. Her fear of flying just disappeared, and she realized it was like her responsibilities were over. Huh? They were. Oh, we were. We were huh. raised. So if she did die in a plane crash, we were going to be all right. You know, she'd right, set us right. up good and taught us how to survive out there. And now she loves flying. She'll fly anywhere, anytime. Drop her the hat. She'll go anywhere. So <laughs> like, it's. I do think that. Yeah, I, I have that a bit right now. I have a. I've had a few of those. Waking up in the you know four a.m. being like I don't want to die, <laughs> which I've never yeah, my, I never had before. Yeah. I never well, really. I think it was always the opposite. I would be I want to die <laughs> at four a.m. So it's different, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm I, my health anxiety since having the kids and my mother was sick at one point yeah. in the last few years as well. So my health anxiety has really ramped up. And but I'm really plagued by the notion of the kids not being able to handle some, something happening to us. It's also that has informed my managing of the pandemic and really mm-hmm. trying to keep us locked down and ignore right. the government. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but I here in Alberta things are particularly bad in terms of you know safety protocols. They've just sort of said we give up and uh-huh. everything's done. So. Yeah, now I'm having that. And by the way, I used to live in Ontario where you live. And yeah. I thought that I thought that was bad. Right. But now I'm feeling like very like 
it's hard to relax. Uh, generally, as a parent, sometimes I'm trying to be chill, and mostly I, I try to be chill, but I know I'm uptight about stuff because I worry about the children and our safety. I guess. Yeah. And our, so, and I don't know if that's abnormal or not. Like, I don't. I'm not. You know, I just told you there. Or did I tell you this on the record? I maybe I said it beforehand. The kids just now, I said, hey, I got to do an interview. Can you go to the park? And that's a relatively new phenomenon. They're very young. They're leaving the house. They're going to hang out with their friends. I don't exactly know what they're doing all of a sudden. Yeah. That's a big, that's a big shift. I bet people have told you too with the twins. Oh, it gets better. Don't worry. Have you heard that? That's a weird thing people say. Yeah, lots of that. Yeah. 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 I find that weird. A lot of this stuff seems to be revolve around control as well yes you know i yeah i really felt that at the beginning you know they tell you at the hospital like you know they need to eat every three hours well how i kind of interpreted that was okay if i feed them then they shouldn't have to eat for three hours you know what I mean? Like, and then yeah. I, you know, the first week or something, I'm like, what's going on? They're crying. It hasn't been three hours. I don't understand what's going on. Why do they, why are they freaking out? You know, and it's like, I, cause I wanted to control something. Yes. I wanted to control when they ate so that I had my time and why whatever. And, you know, as soon as I started allowing them to be the clock, yeah. it, it just got much more manageable. You know, just, I mean, or that, I, <laughs> there you go. That's still a control word, manageable. You know, yes, absolutely. It's, um, it's, yeah, it became, yeah. it made more sense, I could say. Like, yeah, why was I dictating? I wouldn't want someone to dictate when I'm eating. Yeah. Like, no, you can't yeah. eat yet. It hasn't been three hours yet. Or no. Like, so they they just eat whenever. It could be that they just ate five minutes ago and now they want to eat again. And that's just how it is. And that's how they communicate. They cry out. They cry out when they're in distress. Sure. And, and at that point, it's mostly either they want, you know, to feel nurtured and and uh, they want the, the attention from your from their mom or their dad or yeah. they're hungry. Yeah. That's pretty much it. There's yeah. not very because uh, they're young. How, they're, how, I can't remember. What are you like f- five six months? How old are they? Uh, they're they're just so, they're almost four. Four four. Sorry, yeah. I, I was I. This was the Price Is Right. I would be out. <laughs> I guess I went over. But anyway, no. Well, again, I hesitate to use the word congratulations, but I'm very happy for you. I guess that's what I really. When people say congratulations, I think that's what they mean. I'm happy. I hope you're happy. Uh, you sound like you're in good good spirits. So that's great. Yeah, I'm yeah, happy. It's, yeah. it's a fulfilling thing to do. It's it's endlessly interesting and challenging and very full of love and so much laughter. <laughs> yeah. So much laughing. <laughs> like and um it's very also very simple. It's a very simple complex thing. I don't know. It's I, I like how it's, I don't know, it just kind of shifted my life in a way that I, I felt like I needed and uh, that I'm grateful for. So, yeah. It is, fasc- it is fascinating how some stuff comes naturally, I think, is maybe, like there's an innate thing we, because like I look to my parents for guidance and then when they started to tell stories about when I was born, they were like, yeah, you know, you, my they, my mom was like, yeah, my parents flew over from India when you were born. Yeah. I was like, what? I don't, I mean, obviously, why would I remember that? Yeah. Oh, yeah? How long do they stay? Oh, quite a while. And, yeah. And the, su- the, subtext, the subtext, I think, was we didn't know what we were doing. Right. So my, my parents came over. That made sense. But then when I hear about, like, how they raised us sometimes, I'm like, they really kind of didn't know what they, like, I mean, I've, 
feel like my sister and I turned out relatively well, but there's mm-hmm. parts of me that like no one, it just crystallized that no one really knows how to parent. You just yeah. sort of do it the best you can based on your own instincts, impulses, personality, psychology. And then we send the children out into the world and they are a reflection of that. <laughs> and sometimes it's great and sometimes, you know, things happen. Uh, people fall through the cracks, so to speak, or whatever, you know, they take a different take. So I guess that's in a weird way for me, that's been reassuring. Like there's no real. And I think that's what you're saying about the hospital people saying they got to eat every three hours. You realize yourself there's not really that much of a rule book. No, there's Um, no rule book. And there's no book. There's no book you can buy, you know, like all these parenting books are, I don't know, they're, I, they're just, uh, I don't know what you would say it would be good for bonfires. I don't know. No, I don't believe in burning books at all. Um, but they, there's also nothing like no object you can buy. You know, like capitalism tells us endlessly, like you can just buy this thing. It's going to fix this issue you have, you know. And the issue is just life. It's like this is yeah. just living. This is what this is. This is supposed to be hard. Yeah, you're not I, supposed I, to sleep. They're right. supposed to cry. It's yeah. supposed to take all of your time. It's not really supposed to be about when do you get your life, quote unquote, life back or something like this. But so many people do have, have no choice but to get back to work. So there's this urgency to get the kid under control, manageable, on a schedule, sleep train it, get the thing going, because there's no other choice. Because the parent has to sleep, the parent has to go back to work, because we live in a society that is not set up for raising children. It's for turning children into workers and getting them in line with what's happening ASAP. So I don't know, it's... It's been, I've realized how much not only babies don't need, but adults don't need. I mean, is any of this informed by pandemic stuff for you? Because for me, I will just say that, you know, that term work-life balance. Yeah. uh, when, When we became parents, we realized how ridiculous that concept was. There's no work-life balance that sends you off to a place uh, at six in the morning, seven in the morning, and gets you home at five or six in the evening. No. And then expects you to raise, be able to feed and raise and be there for your children after you've exhausted yourself. So the work-life balance thing, I know some people are struggling with working from home, and I think it's more struggling with the lack of normalcy or what they perceive to be normal. Yeah. But for for me, I feel like, and it's hard for me to convince my wife of this because she struggles as well. She's am, among those people that's like, this is weird to be working from home and have the children all up in my face. Yeah. Because they, I will say, sadly, I think like, yeah, the burden of homeschooling or virtual schooling, like they would, they were all upstairs and I'm down here and they would go to her yeah. for help. And yeah. occasionally come to me, but not really. Um, yeah. And I always try to help, but they, they, for some reason, they want their mom when they don't know how to do stuff. And that <laughs> makes me feel bad. But then other times they do come to me and they ask me other kinds of questions. Mm. But for some reason, the school, I don't know. And I know that's on me. 
maybe they feel like uh, we don't want Papa to know we don't know something. And I feel right. like, what? uh-oh, that's me. That's something I'm putting out there and I don't like it. And I try mm. to tell that we yeah. articulate, like, you can come to me. Like, it's I'm here to help. We're here to help you. Like, you shouldn't be afraid. Anyway, uh, sorry, I got into my own neuroses there, but uh, I will <laughs> just, that's, that happens from time to time. Uh-huh. What I was really getting at, though, is the work-life balance has shifted in a way because of the pandemic for me anyway, as a, a white-collar yeah. computer worker at a desk feels better this feels better i I am here for my kids yeah. like i i am here for my family at the drop of a hat yeah. uh, i get some work done i make dinner i make lunch i make breakfast uh, you know we do all those things and and you know slowly but surely my son is uh, playing soccer like organized soccer all of a sudden yeah which you know but before in guelph it was like five to every, i'd get home Early enough to pick them up at the bus stop, but then we were immediately racing to some activity and then trying to shove food, like junk food, when we didn't have time to make food. Anyway, all this to say, and you will probably experience this uh, as the kids get older and you have to figure this out because, I mean, I I think of you as a very, very, very hard worker. Mm. and, And I know you've probably already seen into the future about how being a parent um, is going to impact what you are primarily known for doing and mm-hmm. what you what your practice has been. And I, I, I just will quickly home in on that. Do you foresee, what, what do you think you're going to be like as prolific, you know, we know you as prolific Meg Remy. Uh-huh. <laughs> prolific, the U.S. girls put out a record almost every couple of years, it feels like. How are you feeling about that? Like, do you have a sense of what the next work could be and how you're going to manage that? Well, I, I, although I have a foggy brain, my brain's still going. So I, I've always done most of my kind of work in my brain. I don't know. So I feel right, like right. I haven't stopped. I'm feel more inspired to write and make music more than ever. You know, having kids and then giving birth and then being, I really took like 40 days, like where it was like, I didn't do anything. I didn't really talk on the phone or text i didn't go for a walk i was recovering being with the babies feeding making sure i'm just this is what i'm doing and being in a cocoon like that and then emerging it was like listening to like something like james brown after that experience yeah yeah was like it was like i was hearing music for the first time or going out for a walk and looking up at the canopy of leaves above me. And it was like the green was, I'd never seen this green before. Everything is, I feel like I have new, new sense, senses in general. It's right. very exciting. I feel that there's really nothing more important than kind of just, oh, these kids right now. But I, you know, I've been, I was in the process of making a record when I, I mean, I still am. It got put, you know, majorly on hold. I I think that all that's changed is the scheduling's different now, you know? Right, right. I, when I go to kind of feel stressed, like, I've got to get this record done. Oh, uh, I look at them, (laughs) faces, and there's no rush, you know? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, there's no rush. It's fine, you know? So I don't plan on stopping making things. It's just like, yeah, I don't know. I never thought of my 
uh, self as prolific. That was just the pace I was working at at that time. And that was the right pace for me to keep up with my brain and where I was at. You know, yeah, I don't know. I, so it was yeah. never too, uh, yeah, it, would, it never felt forced to me. It always felt the right pace. So, but yeah, we're seeing it already. Just, uh, yeah, Max and I are, are working hard to give, try to give each other time each day. You right. know, that we yep. can at least have time to be an individual. You know, yep. I don't always yep. want to be a married person or a mom. You know, I want to yep. be just myself by myself. And it's this this period of time is going to be very short. <laughs> it's going to fly by. I can see it already. Yeah. You know, it and does. I, if I get lucky enough to to live to an old age, there's going to be a lot of time for picking up the pace again in terms of output if if that is what i desire to do or i might get so slow if we want to say slow i might just (laughs) only make one record that i work on for 50 years i don't (laughs) i can't say right Um, no that's fair i think one of the major shifts in your in your work has already was already occurring which is uh, the touring is really Mm -hmm. it has a new sort of almost like a new character to it in terms of whether people want to do it, whether it's possible to do it. I know it's happening. I mean, you're, uh, uh, you're, you're from America and we are here. Uh, you know, the difference, like you, you must keep in sort of tabs on what's going on in terms of the music business in America, if you will, like people are touring and playing shows. And as we're speaking, there's now starting to be some informational pushback against some of that behavior. Like, is this really what we should be doing? Mm. But here in Canada, it's not really happening like that. Uh, it's very rare to know, that, you know, for a show to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of you as a very dynamic and explosive live performer as well. So I know that, I think anyway, that's an important part of your expression. And I know like when we last spoke, I think yeah. you were just about to go on tour, a long tour. Yeah. And and then we I think we promoted it so to speak, talked about that and then it didn't happen and I know that must have been heartbreaking but what about that part of your work? Like if it, that's shifting as we're speaking but it will also shift for you as a as a parent, I'm sure. Well, yeah, um, the pandemic is not nothing in terms of shifting thinking about live performance as is giving birth to two children for the, Right, of course. Like I Very don't different. know what my body I don't know my body at all. I have a new body. I have to get to know how it moves. Yeah. Uh, things I don't know where my diaphragm is. Things are mm. all in different places. I used to just kind of throw myself about like a rag doll. I can't do that anymore. Yeah. Uh, what will it be like to sing with boobs full of milk and milk leaking yeah. everywhere and I'm trying to perform? I don't know. <laughs> like it's right. Also, right. yeah, it's... That's the biggest part for me is my new body. In terms of the pandemic, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I haven't personally been too bummed out about the music industry getting put on hold. It didn't, uh, people are still playing music on their porches and in their houses and people are listening to music and music's not going anywhere. Music is sacred and it's sticking around. It's the industry that is uh, changing and... Uh, I think it's changing in a way that it was already changing. You know, it's going virtual. When we played, I've said this, I don't even know, I've maybe even said this anecdote to you, but when I, 
we played a big a big festival out west that well I'll leave nameless but this was in 2019 and pre-pandemic and they uh, I met someone who was on the board of this festival who was saying that they were working towards making it virtual and that was then oh, you know what I before, mean wow this is oh. this is what's been already on the go yeah. So it's just it just put it on steroids. It just hy- put it into hyperspeed. And if people should be playing shows or not right now, I don't know. I'm doing four shows. There's planned four shows to do in September. Oh wow! Okay. Shows are coming back online here. They're like all outdoors except for one. But it seems like the fall is when things are coming back online. I know lots of people that are going back on the road, big long tours. Everyone's you know, if you were someone who toured a lot. Or if you are someone who used tour to run away from your life, you're dying to get back out there, I think. Yeah. And um, I'm sure lots of things are going to be canceled. I'm sure it's going to be this back and forth thing. Uh, I don't want to get COVID, but I also don't want to get cancer. I also don't want to get smashed by a car. I don't, you know, but I'm not going to, I don't feel very... Uh, COVID feels like the least of our problems right now. It feels like a symptom of the the yeah. larger issue that we have, which is that we are a species that has just run amok and we're getting checked and that's just what it is. And we're going to continue getting checked. And it's starting to, you know, like just last week it was in Toronto, it was the sky was hazy. The sun was blood red from fires up north, and yeah, bad yeah. air quality warnings. And that's that's the new normal, you know. Down yeah, torrential yeah. downpour all the time. There's been these crazy rains here after this batch of heat that was just so hot. You know, it's just, this is it now. And mm-hmm. whether people are playing shows or not, I mean, I don't know. It's like, yeah, yeah. it's like putting your lipstick on when the Titanic's going on, whatever. You know, it's like, okay. <laughs> not necessarily relevant per se. Yeah, I, <laughs> I know, get it. No, I, 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 I hope only, people yeah. play shows. I miss shows. You know, like I do. Yeah. I, I, there's nothing more I love than performing. There's nothing I love more than being in the audience. You know, I miss going to shows and dancing. I miss dancing around people. I don't know who they are and communicating with them with my body. And, you know, I do miss those things, but there's other things to do. I I just feel there's other things that to do. I don't feel limited um, in, I I do feel lucky that I lived a, you know, I'm going, getting closer to 40 and that I've, I lived a lot of life and had a lot of experiences. And I hope that, you know, my children do get to experience people in a group setting with no inhibitions, you know, and these kinds of things. I don't, I don't, but if they don't, they're going to experience some other crazy shit that I didn't get to, you know, it's. Yeah, that's how I felt about moving. People were like, you're going to move to Alberta, like uh, Edmonton. Like, I mean. Toronto people are like that. They're like, you're going to move away from, further away from Toronto? Are you nuts? That's just the way they're like. But uh, yeah, no, I felt the same. Like, I've lived a pretty full, rich life of experiences, and there's more to come, but uh, I'm not going to dwell on, uh, you know, Ontario restaurants or Ontario concerts. the city is in your mind, you know? Exactly. The city is not really the thing that they've been trying to say that it is. Well, I also live in a bigger city than I was living in. 
Like, yeah. I mean, I live in a more yeah, metropolitan yeah. and multicultural space, so there's probably more opportunities, but unfortunately, we've also been locked down. So, But yeah. I, I do want to pick up on something real quick, um, maybe real quick. What? You invoked James, well, you invoked James Brown. Yeah. And James Brown performed at Woodstock 99. Oh, yeah, baby. I I just watched this documentary, and I couldn't help but think of you, because Uh on I believe it's on your last record. I believe it's on Heavy Light. You have a song called Woodstock 99. And I feel like uh, as much as it's inspired by that, I mean, and obviously we're going to talk about your book shortly here. uh, I think you are really fascinated by media images and the way things are mediated and put together and presented. And I thought your sort of intuition about, because as I recall, you experienced Woodstock 99 in a mediated way, right? You weren't yeah. there. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Well, the song is about, I watched it on MTV and my friend, same age as me, watched it on, got the pay-per-view channel. Like his mom ordered him the pay-per-view stream. Yeah. So we had very different... uh you know, the pay-per-view stream was basically like, you know, the festival-mediated stream. They're right. saying what's, you know, it's like it's like the equivalent of music documentaries today that are produced by, like, the person who it's about. Right. Which is every music doc, if people look. <laughs> like, it's like every <laughs> single music doc is produced by, it's like, you know, it's like, Tina Turner or Alice Cooper or all these things, and it's like produced by them or their management company, which is fine, right. but we should know these things because it means, like the Bee Gees one in particular, I don't yeah. know if you watched that one, but it's like- I haven't, no. People you know what I mean? It's saying, like, and then yeah. Andy Gipp died. I don't, we don't know why, big deal. Let's like, next thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's yeah. very a controlled, what they're putting out there and how it's controlled. So that is what occurred. And then, you know- with this Woodstock thing was my friend had a different view than I did of the MTV, which was very critical. And Well, yeah, they were yeah. trying to get, they were like, this is bad, we got to get out. Did you happen to watch the new HBO doc? I did. And what did you, so I, I decided I didn't like it. What did you make of it? <laughs> I just, I think I knew I didn't like it before I watched it. But I also, yeah. it was watchable and... There was some critique I thought that was interesting, and there was just so much footage that I, you know, I had forgotten about. So many things I had forgotten about, and for me, what the whole Woodstock 99 thing comes down to is that it was held on an Air Force base. Right. You know, and that is a very interesting thing. They kept referring to the turning plow whatever the plowshares quote and it's like i think that if you want to reclaim a military base and try to exercise that energy and turn it into something beautiful that takes a long time that is not a weekend of of, uh capitalism and entertainment (laughs) it takes a long long it would take it would still be yeah it would take probably hundreds of years to redo that you would have to begin by taking up all the concrete you know i mean it would just be an immense project physically not to mention emotionally spiritually kind of thing so the documentary makes that clear i think it really it refers to it a few times i wish they had you know they could have maybe gone into that more, but the average probably viewer doesn't really care. They just want the juicy stuff. Well, uh, the juicy stuff, or the juicy stuff, if you will, is what I found 
problematic, if the, that's the word. Um, yeah. Because it seemed to want to interrogate the misogyny and sexism uh, that took place, you know, which is one of the things that really has st- stood the test of time, so to speak, in trying to tell the story of what that was, is that there were a lot of terrible dudes there doing terrible things. Yeah. And and you, if, for those who haven't seen the documentary yet, they do try to offer voice, like they try to offer platforms for people to speak out against what occurred, but they also offer... The organizers, like you say, Meg, like the organizers are featured prevalently. Oh, well, and, they're, wor- and, they're worse than any other person in the audience. I mean, I found that those festival, the promoters were, were, uh, I just can't, I couldn't look at them. Well, I mean, and they say terrible things, and I'm not going to ruin the documentary for people. Just awful things, and, and blaming women for being there, ostensibly, is what the one guy says, yeah, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah. But. Yeah, anyway, I think we're on the same page with it, but it just... Well, Max's issue with it, which I was picking up on as well, was that it had a motive, which was to equate that event directly to Trump and where we are now. Yeah, It really wanted to drive that home, and it did, because it's not that there's no connection there. Right. But... It misses a lot with just trying to go from A to B very directly in that. And, you know, I felt in general that the documentary just had a lack of empathy. Well, that's okay. And tell me if I'm wrong on this or or maybe wrongheaded. And I may disagree with you about it. But they seem to be making the point that women in particular were objectified. And, you know, there were many people there uh, who weren't wearing many clothes, but they seem to really focus on women in this regard, which is the, you know, I, sadly, I understand why they're doing it. But to make the argument that women are being objectified, the organizers don't give a shit about the sexual assaults and the objectification and, and all that sort of stuff. But I felt like every three minutes, they made a point of showing topless women of course and 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 i found that reprehensible because you're making the point and i don't like at one point i'm like am i being am i are they trying to hammer home Mm -hmm. what are they trying to hammer home like you're making the argument that it was a shitty thing that happened but you're also making a point of in your editing every two three minutes just a reminder here's another topless person or a, a naked dude like there was sex sexuality involved in this yeah. While also sort of suggesting it shouldn't have been a part of this, right. like it was a music event. So yeah. that's where I was like, "What are you? This this seems like such a Bill Simmons thing." Well, um, and is yeah, that the sorry. guy? Is that the director? <laughs> that's the producer. Okay, producer. Is that the guy who's like the first shot of the documentary? No, Bill Simmons is. Uh, no, no, no. Bill Simmons okay. is the guy who he's like a sports guy primarily. Uh, he runs the Ringer. I don't he, know. He him. runs the. Yeah, he's, he's a prominent. He came to the floor because he is a basketball expert, and uh-huh. I will say I was I was I, I was an admirer of his for some time. But as he's gone on, I I find him less endearing. And he got this massive HBO deal, and this is the first film okay. uh, from his production from his production company. Okay, but having heard him talk about women yeah. on relatively recent podcasts, I like you said I knew what it was going to be before yeah. I even pressed play, but it was a bit. Well, the like, first I, like, shot is the director who is right. like 
okay, that's always an issue for me. <laughs> this right. is a documentary. Like, the first shot, like, a documentary about a music festival. It shouldn't be, why are we seeing the, the, the director first shot? Like, right. that tells you something about what it's going to be like, I think. And, and yeah, it, it just, it's also HBO. I don't know what you, like, HBO, it's not that HBO hasn't done some good things. No, but they, they do seem, there's somebody there, there are people there that know or make a point of topless women. Topless women are in every show. They have to, there has to be like nudity in every show, unnecessary, if you will. Yeah. And it's frustrating to me, frankly. <laughs> like, I get what you're doing and you don't have to do it. Like, this doesn't help anything wow. except that you're trying to engage a certain breed of cat. Or just keep that certain kind of cat trained you know what i mean it's just a uh, these formulas exist for a reason you know Uh, yes and i i I rewatch i I rewatch everything that we yeah yeah you know we know is is fucked up and I don't know. I, I I think it's worth watching. I would recommend watching it, you know, but okay. it's, uh, <laughs> it's... It has some issues. Well, because I just think it... Uh, uh, yeah, it has issues, but that doesn't mean it shouldn't be watched, you know. I, no, I definitely am not a proponent of that, you know, something that causes conflict, conflict in me, I feel I should avoid. I don't agree with that, you know. I mean, I, I think as a documentary, it is ultimately critical... Of its subject, sure. um, a guy, you know, we people died. Um, yeah, and they try they try to tell these stories from a human level of friends yeah. losing each other, yeah. and 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 the the horrible infrastructure, and the 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 administrators trying to downplay everything that is obvious and negative. Yeah. I mean, wh- that to me is the main connection between. You know, U.S. politics, Canadian politics, the obfuscation of the truth mm. is really that through line to Trump uh, mm. beyond the kind of male, white male aggression, objectification and marginalization of women uh, and, and other cultures. But then there was the actual like they couldn't figure out how to have enough porta potties. They couldn't figure out how to actually take care of people by giving them water and right. the supplies they need. So to Max's maybe point of view, I see what he's saying. Like that resonates as a little microcosm of how shitty bureaucracy is and how little empathy and care there there is for the people that yeah. you're supposed to be taking. You're inviting everyone to come over and hang out for the weekend. You should be able to take care of all of them. Uh, well, it and also, I mean, it's that I... Like, there's a little bit of a discussion about the idealization of the original Woodstock, you know, but that should go into it more. It's like, there's like... (laughs) That was fascinating. I I, That was an interesting point they raised that I hadn't really contemplated. Of course not, because it's been shoved down our throat that there was three days of peace, love, and whatever, you know, just like so much has been shoved down our throats about the 60s. Yeah, that we we are we've been kind of poisoned by. I think I know. Yeah. I I mean, I definitely, I definitely was growing up in America, uh, totally brainwashed by all that shit. Yeah. Well, speaking of you growing up in America, 
this is a another uh, classic Vish segue. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to, uh, I want to get into your really brilliant book. Uh, for those who have been listening to the show lately and have heard me say to authors, and I, I, I've caught myself because I edit myself, you know, I edit the show. Uh-huh. So I've I've heard myself say to authors lately, I read your book uh, a couple of times. But the, the truth is, I, I did. <laughs> in yeah. every instance, like I read uh, the last few authors I've had on, I read the book multiple times. Your book is one, yeah, I read it I read it three times. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's incredibly revealing as someone who's followed you in your and your career uh and your and knows you a little bit personally you know this is um it's rather it's completely devastating and and but also it's you like i know it's brilliant and devastating i guess is what i would say so mm. um not to go back to it congratulations on this book <laughs> but uh it's not the right word but i want to uh i want to begin by from the beginning the book is begin by telling what prompted you, Meg, to to sit down and write this book? Why now? What what happened? Uh, the the publisher Book Hug approached me and asked me if I wanted to write something. <laughs> 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 so it was yeah, it was more of an opportunity presented itself. I've always written I've written some essay things for for websites here and there. I used to do zines religiously young when I was younger, and I. I'm a very intense journaler. I have many Tupperwares full of journals, so I've, I've always been always written, but um, didn't think anyone. I don't know. It never occurred to me to try to write in a longer form, or I thought there was no need for that, or who who wants to read this, you know? And mm. then Book Hug um, just reached out and asked. You know, I had come up in a kind of editorial meeting of who might be interesting, mm-hmm, who could mm-hmm. we see wants to write something. And so they asked if I would be interested in trying to do something longer. And so I pitched something and yeah, it was, that's basically it, the opportunity, It's it, which, you know, I mean, that's just the truth of the matter, but. Uh, no, that's you know there might be writers yeah. who have been writing trying to get their text published for decades listening to this right now being like you bitch <laughs> you <didn't, you> know? <laughs> and I understand that I you know I uh, it, it was it it came about because uh, you know well I won't say why it came about it I, I won't I'll keep that but I, I was oh, okay. lucky that I got opportunity you know that I. Uh, due to my music career and and uh things like that was given an opportunity to to do this and i took it really seriously and i learned a lot and other than raising children now having children the hardest thing that i've ever done for sure yeah yeah no i I appreciate that uh having read it um just so we're clear on this the book is written in first person, mm. primarily, unless mm. you're uh, adopting sort of narrative voices, this is sort of a genuine telling of your life, right? Yeah, I mean, not my life. How can you tell your whole life? I mean, I haven't even lived my whole life yet, but it's it's kind right, well, of yes. my, you know, it's focusing primarily, I'd say, on childhood, teen years, and this idea of. Uh, living through media, yes, that exactly. we're kind of yeah. forced to do. So, 
which is very confusing for a child, you know. So I tried to go back to my child self and go to all these points that I had that really confused me. But were very big, important times I could tell, and and a shift occurred in my life because of them. But I didn't know why, and tried to kind of revisit my child voice and write yeah. in that voice and get that out, because it's, I mean, children are so uh, why they're I mean they're important for so many reasons, but they really reveal how stupid we are as adults. You know, they really reveal hmm. the strange things that we're doing. Do you come to, to to a point where you realize we're doing some of these things because of those experiences, those <laughs> yeah, formative experiences? I mean, yeah. that's one of, that's why I make work. That's why yeah. I make work is I'm attempting to remind myself over and over again to revisit my younger self. And I'm trying to encourage others to do the same because that is where it's at. This is where we got to look. Just like you don't know, you won't know shit what's going on in politics if you don't read history. And history's fucked, but like you got to know the official story that they're telling. <laughs> like you got to go back well, and read that garbage and then read everything else around it. And otherwise, you'll just never know what's coming next. And, you know, that's yeah. really. In yeah, and I revisiting certain things about myself just it made me relax about myself. It made me forgive myself, love myself a lot more, and I, not even a lot more. Begin to love myself, I would say, yeah. and yeah. laugh a lot about <laughs> things I've done and things I continue to do, and. Yeah, it was definitely a healing, a super healing process, which I think, yeah, that's the fear. People don't want to go back because everyone's got a lot of shit to wade through. But and, and it's this fear that it's going to be very painful and unpleasant. And yes, it is. But it's also like, oh, it's like scratching an itch that you've had for 20, 30, 40 years. That, and you're like, yeah, fin finally, yeah. like, oh, God, I got it. I got it right in the right spot. Finally. Yeah. There's relief. And you can carry on. Yeah, there's a moment in the book where you engage in a kind of uh, dialogue uh, mm -hmm. with, uh, and, and you name your friend Cassie, who I know is a real person, yeah. real musician, yeah. a real real collaborator. And she's you're the editor of the book. She's the doula of the book. Yes, that's <laughs> yeah. correct. That's right. Now, but but there's a point where you say, like, I've never shared some of this with anyone before yeah and i want to delve into that but first of all you are an artist you express yourself and there are echoes for me uh in this book of your music um mm -hmm. i mean certainly there's literally one of your telephone plays that you featured on a record uh is is here yeah. uh it's written it's 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 transcribed if you will so i now, it makes me, and I haven't had a chance to do it yet, but it makes me now, the book feels like a map to me a little bit in terms of your other work, mm. and I haven't had the chance to delve into it. I'm sure you've alluded to it, some of these stories, these aspects of your life, but do you feel like you've alluded, to, or rather you've tried to express your feelings about some of the topics in this book in your music 
Have you done that at this yeah. point? Before? Oh, yeah, one hundred percent. But it's just so much different than words on a page, you know. I always but include like, lyrics with albums. Yeah. I don't know who reads them. You know what I mean? And like, also, I think lyric form. You you think, oh, this could be a character, or this could be a. I don't know. It's just it's different. I feel like when it's. Uh, I I don't. I mean, I will say yeah. I I hope you I hope you know from our various like formal interactions mm. that I do read your lyrics mm. uh, personally. <laughs> like I'm a, I'm a lyric reader generally, and I know yeah. there's some people like I don't care what they're saying as long as it sounds good. The musicians, you know, whatever. I don't yeah. know what the lyrics are. I just like the melody or the tune. But I do tend to read lyrics, and so this is where I'm feeling like I miss something mm. because the, the, there are things here that like I say I hear a little I, I've just trusted my memory ahead of us chatting today that I, I feel like there's residual there's residue like the book the stuff that's in the book that you've conveyed so starkly on yeah. the page yeah. I feel like there's at least residue of it throughout your work and you're sort of confirming that you yeah, have had to yeah. try to process these yeah. experiences and feelings and put them into your music yeah but then you couch it in a sense that's, for some of us, a bit more nebulous. Oh, she's she's probably just adopting a narrative voice or, you know, what is that? It's too abstract for me to figure out. Is there any part of you who are like, look, you idiots, I've already <laughs> talked about this <laughs> and you missed it. Like, come on, you were sleeping on my songs. And I mean, you know what I mean. But like, yeah. I, I feel a little like I slept on some of this stuff. And I so I feel badly as someone who has dug deep into your work in the past so that's where I, sorry, this has now become more about me. But this to me seems like a therapeutic exercise. You said that. You laughed. You learned a lot about yourself. Did you ever have the same release in putting some of those thoughts down in the context of a song? For sure. Redford Radio. Yes, that that's, song. I listened to that. I listened to that this morning. Yeah, that, uh, a, that that's song, when old. I first put it out, I the original version of it is just me playing electronic drum pad and then singing, but I slowed it down. So it's like kind of woozy and, yeah. you know, that was at a time when I didn't have, uh, is, I mean, I, it's like, I don't know numbers, but like there wasn't as many people that listened to us girls at that time. Maybe is there is now or a year ago or something like this, but, I was scared about putting it out. I thought, oh, if I, you know, I wonder, it felt, but it felt hidden to me. But I was scared. I was, I don't want my family to decode this or something. And then putting out that song again on Heavy Light, very, still a little bit dirgy, but pretty clearly recorded with the lyrics printed because the record that initially came out on the lyrics weren't included. Right. I felt ready to do it and it felt bold. And it felt bold the few times that we got to play that song live too. And I, but the whole process of U.S. girls or me making art in general since I was a kid has been an exercise in overcoming fear and an exercise in being like, I have something to say and I know that I know for sure there's a couple people that are not going to like this, but I just got to do it. <laughs> and like, that's kind of what it's been. And the book was, you know, I'm talking about specific people in the book. I'm talking about my family. And that was the hardest part of the book. I had to get a lot of anger out first writing the book. I had to write and write and write and write. I had to vomit a bunch of stuff out. And then I had to whittle it down around what 
do I really want people to know and what is important? And also keep in mind that when I'm speaking about people, particularly if I'm speaking about them, maybe bringing up something negative, they don't have the advantage of a platform that I have to respond. Uh, That's fair, yes. So that's real. You have to keep that in mind. I had to. It felt imbalanced for me to kind of control. I don't want to control my own PR. And there was a real urge to want to do that. There was a real urge to want to say, this happened to me and I experienced this and can you fucking believe this and this is terrible and da-da-da-da-da. And not be critical of myself at all or have any empathy uh, for the people that I had conflict with within my life which I want I want to because that's the only way that I can actually heal but are you still in contact with the people in your I don't know how okay I'm just going to be uh yeah I'm just going to ask this bluntly um and forgive me this is I've been talking to some people who have written some very sensitive things, and I also am cognizant of not ruining books uh, for people who haven't read them yet. But mm-hmm. let me just bluntly say, I understand that you have a close relationship with your mother still. That's fair? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is your father in your life? No. Not at all? No. But he, but he's he's around. He's somewhere in the world. He's around in the world. He communicates with, uh, I think, my brother still. He hmm. definitely uses the internet because he's alive. So right. he's maybe right. read this book. And I was right. conscious so, of him perhaps reading this book and conscious of my mother reading this book. And not my mother is a wonderful person who did the best that she could. And she yeah. failed in a lot of ways, just as I will fail in certain ways with my children. To be right. a parent is a flawed gig you will fuck up somewhere mm-hmm. it's just you will mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I didn't want this to be a thing where I'm just talking shit and because a main thing that I've really been working on personally the past few years was that I in my life used the fact that I had been abused as a kid as a f- kind of a free a card like a free pass for myself that I Mm. could treat anyone I wanted like shit, basically. (laughs) Or I could behave in any way I wanted. I could get outrageous and get wasted and get in a fight. And then I could cry when I was abused as a kid. Right. I'm all fucked up. Yeah, that's Mm. true. That's totally true. And that is why I would get drunk and go crazy or, or hurt people or something like this. But that doesn't, that doesn't, that explains it, but it doesn't justify it. No, uh, no, it doesn't. So, um, which is why, you know, I, I wanted to include like unflattering things about myself <laughs> you know, to try to introduce that idea that we've, you know, we've all been hurt. But like, yeah, I don't know. I, I some people think that this phrase is problematic. I think it's very accurate that. That phrase, hurt people, hurt people. I yeah, yeah. just yeah. think it's it's the damn truth. Like, it, I've, it's just been revealed to me time and time again. So my father abused me, but he was abused. 
Right. So I'm supposed to be like, he's the bad guy? Like, well, then I'm the bad guy too then because of the no, things that no. I did to people. You know what I mean? Like, I know right. there's there's layers. I'm not trying to <laughs> victim shame myself. I'm not saying that right. I am the reason why I was abused. What I'm saying is that I have to say, you know, I have to stand behind the things that I have done and say, yeah, I did those things. Yeah. No, that's, and that's fair. You do a kind of an accounting of it, but I don't think it's, um, I mean, you have uh, every reason and right to have a strained and confusing relationship with sexuality, I mm-hmm. suppose. Like, I don't know how else to put it. For um, sure. You sound, so here's my thing. You sound, as we're speaking, Yeah. you, you sound at peace with what has happened, uh, which is... Which I, I imagine isn't actually true, but I imagine that I am that like in this moment sitting talking to you, but then there could be, you know, five days from now and I get hit with one of my days when I'm yeah. not okay. And I have yeah. that, you know, I've worked really hard to as much as I can live in the present. Um, well, when I was asking, yeah, no, and I, and I appreciate that. When I was asking about how you've expressed some of these thoughts and ideas and feelings in your work and your music... And now that they're so starkly written in this book, like I've had this experience with a different person who has uh, recently released a book that has to me, and I think to his followers, like just bombshells. Mm-hmm. Just, we have had a relationship with this fellow. Oh, mm-hmm. sorry, I'll just say, do you know who Tom Sharpling is? He hosts uh, yeah, the best yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he just put out a book and he was on the show. And I had this convers- I had this conversation with him where I was trying to get to it. And I think the same sort of idea applies to you. He's been talking to us for 20 years. Yeah. Uh, in this voice, a performative voice as a public person. Meanwhile, he had these really heavy secrets that he had never conveyed. It wasn't the his work as a comedian, the way he makes comedy. There wasn't really a confessional kind of space for him to do that. Yeah. And so one of my questions for him, and I'll ask the same of you, is when you write a book like this and you say, like in this skit, if you will, or or, or the dialogue, I should say, between you and... Cassie, you make a point of saying, like, I've never told anyone this. To me, I would think that once you've written this down and then handed it in, even that point where you've handed it in, you've submitted a draft, that's got to be a weird feeling of panic and release. Oh, yeah. I would think that I'm making something public that I've never really told anyone. Like, the things in this story, its is it fair to the uh, story? The things in this book, the essays in this book, some aspects of this, no one beyond, I'm, I'm sure, a small group of people have ever heard these stories from you. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. So how does it feel to put it down? Not only put it down, because I know what that can be like when you get something out of your system and you write it down. Yeah. For you in that moment, I know what that feeling of release is like. But what about handing it off and then knowing, okay, it's at the printer. Okay, it's going to start to circulate. <laughs> can you describe those feelings? I'm just curious about having these burden like i think of these things as i can see them being a burden to you in your life and then you release them and you feel that sense of lightness i'm guessing but did you have any of those feelings viscerally oh my main issue i was terrified my mother reading it you know i was really that was my thing was i just that's who i was most scared about but i sent her the advanced copy and she read it and we and we talked it through you know and she's proud of me and we i think her being able to read it 
without me having to say it and her having to be able to read it in her own space in her home and process yeah. it, it 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 opened up something in our relationship that was good we got to kind of move past not move past but kind of paint things a different color or something it's just a little bit different now well beyond the anecdotes and pop culture observations are there things about you personally in this book that she would not have known before reading this book yeah yeah like me going to the std clinic as a teenager yeah you know because yeah like you write not to spoil anything but in the book you have you end up knowing the person at the clinic and they know your mother and you specifically say Please don't tell my mother. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that so was then your scary. mother has to, it, it gets a bit meta. Your mother's reading this. Yes. And you're, you're yes. saying that's the first time she's ever heard this. Oh, yeah. This, she or, doesn't or, know that. She wow. doesn't know that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And she doesn't, she wouldn't know that I had gotten it from having anal sex and vaginal sex, you know what I mean? Right. As a teenager, you know, like that I got yeah. chlamydia from that. Like this is, there's a lot of stuff out there, but I would say that the writing process was the, once it once it was at the press, I think it was just done for me. It's kind of like when the record's at the press. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like, it's at the press. Yeah. It's like, I can't do, I couldn't stop this now if I wanted to. So I need to let it go. And it's been very easy to do. I don't know. I, I, I don't know why I'm able to compartmentalize in that way. I think because I have that hard and fast rule where I'm like I'm not going to consume anything that's said about the work which is maybe problematic it's like maybe I'm missing out on things I could grow from like critique but like I don't really make things for critique I don't (laughs) don't really care about critique so much but I've had you know I've it's like with the records I've always just when someone says something to me that's I, I just take it you know, someone says, wow, I was really moved by this. Wow. So they were really moved by that. Great. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah. I hold on to that. Or someone says, like, I didn't get this. Or, or what was this? Or why'd you do this? You know, it's more on an individual basis. I, I don't, uh, I don't know. And, and it's, I have no control over how something is perceived. No, that's, that's, none. But that's fair. So, yeah, like, no, I would be yeah. losing my, if I, allow myself to go there and it's not that I wasn't nervous it wasn't that I wasn't sweating it wasn't that I wasn't talking to Cassie like whoo you know like okay I'm doing this let's do this you know because Cassie and I would talk down to a word you know because this book was whittled down each word was chosen very specifically (laughs) and when the words when there's not many words each word matters and we would be discussing one word am i going to use this word or this word because if i use word a it means one thing if i use b it means a whole other thing you know like am i going to do that am i going to do it and you do it and and this is why i always work with friends and people i trust and people that i can cry in front of and people that i can freak out in front of because if if I'm working with people where there's love, that there's strength there and there's courage. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I wasn't working with some editor who's calling me from New York that I don't fucking know that's saying like, well, on page 18, you know, Cassie's yeah. was a incredibly strong editor, but always, always knowing that the material that she was editing is my fucking life. So... You know, she would always be like, this is what I think, but you do what you want, (laughs) you know, 
you don't want, you can do, you can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. This is just, I'm telling you this based on, you know, being a reader and whatever. And I couldn't, I mean, it wouldn't, the book wouldn't happen without Cassie. Well, the book has a conversational quality. Like for those who don't know, I know I was bragging earlier about how many times I read the book three times. It's a 91 page book. Uh, not every page is uh, filled with words. So it's, it's pretty bluntly written in a sense. Uh, a lot is left to the imagination and a lot isn't. But it also has a structure that almost feels, it's very contemporary in that uh, you have sort of offered, uh, they're not footnotes, mm. but they're a little, um, I, what would you call them? They're just like, it, it's like if you're on a website and then it's hyperlinked. You click on it, and it gives you a little. Yeah. It's like an anecdote, and so like you mentioned uh, loving the Beatles as a kid, but then seeing a Beatles tribute band, and you mentioned the website. Yeah, like I think you quote their website. So I, of course, went to the website, it's but I didn't amazing. click on it. it. It's not a book. <laughs> uh, it's not a website. Your book. So I had to like manually, yeah. you know, get on my phone and be like, who are these guys? So I went and checked out the web their website. Yeah. All this to say, like. And then your analysis, like you and I are roughly the same age, so your analysis of media events, mm. terrorist attacks, or celebrity deaths, or, I mean, the book begins ostensibly with media oppressing you, literally. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, I, 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 will, I will say to people, like, it is a very heavy book in terms of what we've been discussing in terms of what you, is revealed about you, Meg. Yeah. But it's also very entertaining. Uh, yeah. It's hard for me because it takes a turn. It yeah. takes a turn. You're reading it and you're like, yeah, this is an uh, amazing and, and funny media analysis through the eyes of a child or through the eyes of an adult looking at themselves as a child, mm. processing these images and what's being conveyed to you and what your thought process was beyond what was being conveyed to you. And I appreciate that you were a critical thinker at that point but then it takes this turn when you make a very startling revelation that having read it three times now i like i say i i'm now going to pour through all your records i'm going <laughs> to i'm going to do a deep dive into what has meg have been saying all this time i feel like i was missing some things i could see the lead up to where you make this personal revelation yeah now more clearly through your through through your processing of world events if you will yeah. um so, anyway, all this to say, I feel like there's a lot here, and you're at an age where, you know, you've had a full, you've you've lived a, a, an amazing life. Is there any part of you that puts a book like this out with any kind of instructive intention? Like, I get what you're saying. People are going to receive it how they're going to receive it, whatever it is you make. Yeah. But there's a chance that telling this story in this way is going to help people. Uh, that have gone through this kind of trauma or these kinds of traumas. Was that on your mind at all? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, always. I don't. And because yeah. and, that's that's how it's been for me. And that's what's interesting. Talk about Woodstock 99, the band Corn. <laughs> like, I yeah. listened to Corn, you know, their first record where Jonathan Davis is like freaking out. I think it's like the last song on the CD and he's freaking out. He's screaming about his dad. He's having a fucking explosion, total somatic opening in the studio, it seems like. And he puts it out on the record. Right. That was the first thing in my life that was like, 
some sort of inkling that what was happening to me wasn't right. Right. And that I was going to have that, like, I was going to have problems <laughs> like because of it. Not just mm. the problems of having to experience it now in the, in the moment, but like, okay, like, it's just like one of those times where it just the floor drops out from underneath you. Yeah. Then, you know, fast forward to getting into Riot Girl. And that, the, the language in Riot Girl very clearly showing me what's happening to you is not right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so, th- so that, it that just, helps. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. It opened yeah. my eyes. It got me the fuck out of the situation I was in. Yeah. It wouldn't, it, you know, it, it 100% saved me from that situation of being really in a totally enmeshed in an abusive uh, household. Yeah. And then, you know, if you even, I talk, I think I mentioned, I do mention it in the book, Finding Neverland. You know, like yes, that right. movie, yeah. which is like, whatever. I have a lot of fucking empathy for Michael Jackson, you know, that I don't think, again, hurt people, hurt people. Like, yeah, I yeah. can't even be, I, I feel for him. I also feel for these men. Yes. Uh, the same amount. And watching that, you know, I watched that with Max and our friend Lex. And the beginning of the, of watching this, you know, I've said very clearly, like, I might freak out. We're going to yeah. watch this, but you, I might just start screaming and throwing things. I don't know what this is going to induce in me. Like, no, I might need to stop. I might need to watch it in parts. Mm. It was the opposite effect. I was, I felt like I was, I was like laughing. I was like releasing when huh. they're expressing like Michael Jackson wanted me to show, show me his butthole and stuff. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> like yeah. to hear that very specific language. You know, I think that's the hardest part is when you're sexually abused as a kid or at any time. And I, I heard this in another documentary that was about Russell Simmons, where the women are saying, like, I have to be the gross one. Not only does this have to happen to me, but now I have to put words to it. Yeah. And I have to be the one who has to be to be gross again and say, yeah, he made me do this and this and this. And so what the why do I, you know, like. That is this re-abuse almost, having to find yeah. the words. But well, I really found that with that Finding Neverland, hearing that, I was like, oh, God, okay. I It, it opened up something for me. And it, it this the courage of those men. Yeah. It really fortified me and, and yeah, made me realize that we need to start speaking in that way and and using that language and that like it is gross but it's also not you know what i mean like it it just is what it is and like i'm not gross (laughs) like no no, exactly you know and it's like and like like michael jackson's not gross either he's fucked up he got fucked up like he was doing like literally like what I, i i just that's that's just what's so interesting when there's these famous figures like a, and that's why I always like I'm like what the fuck happened to Trump? What well, yeah, happened I'm the to same. Trump? Yeah, what right. happened I'm to Trump? Same. Because yeah. like whatever it is is the grossest thing. Like 
we can't even like whatever that was like he's getting like I don't even I just can't even I want to like lock Trump in a room and hug him (laughs) you know what I mean like and be like hmm. I'm sorry I'm sorry that like whatever happened to you you're trying to fucking punish the world like and that's what I just I don't know I nobody is born evil I don't even believe in evil yeah I just don't well I, I think given your experiences I mean you have a perspective on that a lot of people don't and so I appreciate what you're saying and I appreciate that you have to have empathy for people and I appreciate that you're somehow able to it seems find some peace in what you experienced or at least have some peace with who your father is and who he was well do you ever watch Um, like when you watch footage of Martin Luther King Right. And it's like he's getting spit on and shit thrown at him and like being just co- confronted with this hate and he's praying. Yes. And he's smiling and he's singing or he's just staring or he's, you know what I mean? It's like that is, that is what we should be. <laughs> right. Uh, right. Trying yeah. to no. reach for in our behavior is that, which is. He he's not saying what you're doing's okay. He's saying I still have love for you because you're a human being. And, yeah, and I think know. we yeah well, we we were close. Some of us have been close to reaching our limits on those things in the last decade. It feels like because of just to softly counter that, we've also discovered that showing love and empathy towards some people is never going to be enough. For sure. And and I think when you say you want to. I think the closest we've got to Trump's psyche is through uh, Mary Hart. His uh, yeah, Mary Hart is that her name? No, Mary I don't Trump. Know. Not He's... Mary. Not not Mary. Not Mary Hart from Entertainment Tonight. Mary Trump, <laughs> uh, which I believe is his niece, who yeah, has written. Uh, I didn't read that. I didn't read the book, but I've 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 read her articles and I've seen her interviewed, and I yeah. just haven't. I started to read some of those Trump books, and I'm like, this is pointless. Like, the news cycle is so fast that I can't... Yeah. Why would I read this Michael Wolff book at this point? Like, everything's old. And, yeah. I mean, I think now maybe is the time to go back to some of those uh, books that were trying to take advantage of the situation. But anyway, all this to say, that's where I was... My soft counter to you is that even with this pandemic and the anti-vaxxers and whatnot who are, you know... If it was something else, you'd be like, okay, I guess I appreciate that you think that or you feel that. Mm. But now we're in a state with someone like Trump where lives are at stake. It's not just you thinking a thing. And it's the same with people who are like, I don't need to get a vaccine or I don't need to get masks or whatever. But lives have always been at stake. Lives, Lives are at stake for us to have a country called Canada. Well, that's no, you no, know no, what no, I no, mean. No. So it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. like it, COVID. I, I, yeah, I don't just don't feel like COVID and the vaccine is some special circumstance of, of, well, of I, actually, I, you know. No, no, I, I think it's just heightened certain mentalities and personality types and yeah. entrenchment. Where when you're talking about empathy, there there can't be entrenchment. Like you have to be able to see the other person's point of view. What I'm yeah. sort of again softly arguing is that it's getting more and more difficult to believe that reason and love is going to sway people Mm. to 
I, I mean, I'm saying this as a parent that has to deal with sort of obstinance every day. Um, yeah. And my and vague unwarranted temper tantrums and uh, you know just hard line opinions about yeah. something as simple as like I don't want my eggs scrambled I yeah. said it but I'm like you asked me to make you scrambled eggs these are the kind of little debates you have to have every day as a parent and they're kind of like you say it's like Groundhog Day didn't we just do this yesterday yesterday you liked this yeah. now you don't yeah. and what I'm saying this is a maybe a terrible way of connecting the two but you do <laughs> develop these Sort of like, okay, I guess just that's the way you are, and I will help you the best I can or live with you the best I can, I should say. Yeah. And we'll get through this together. But all I'm saying is, for some of us, we're just at a point where, like, there doesn't seem to be anything we can do to meet each other halfway on certain issues uh, because of this entrenchment and this fracturing of information processing. Mm -hmm. So that's where I'm coming from. Yeah. Except when you lead with love, I think... Or try to always, it just makes it more manageable in your, you know what I mean? Like, there's some of that vax stuff going on in my family, you know? Right, Uh, right. uh, And I don't want to hate anybody. I also don't Mm. want to, like, when I'm thinking about someone, be inflamed. Yeah, 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 for sure. Like, anybody. Like, it's some, like, you know, I'm going to the bank or going to the bakery or whatever and there's some fucking anti-abortion person with a big poster outside you know what i mean i'm like my initial reaction is like like inflamed and that that is a that is a means that i'm not centered (laughs) right right you know so i think like it helps because all you can can control is how you react to something. You cannot control anybody else. So yeah. I want to try to work on being centered no matter what comes at me. Extreme right. love, extreme hate, whatever. I want to just be centered. And that's something it, – it can go the other way too around like – I've really felt that with having kids where I'm like – there's been times where I've said like, if they get to be old enough to do this, because in my mind, I'm like, they might die. So I need to prepare for that. Right. Instead of just being so blown away with love with them, in love with them, which I am. But like, I want to be centered. And centered means I'm in love with them. And I also know that they're going to die. (laughs) So that I'm like, because I don't know, that could fucking happen. And then I have to be, I know that life doesn't throw anything at you that you can't handle. Well, I think in in being centered, you're also, I think from what you're saying, I feel like being centered also means shoring yourself up to be disappointed uh, or heartbroken or devastated. And again, just knowing that that's okay. That's part of. Yeah, that's part of it. This is all hard. That's right. Life is is impossible. It is very impossible. I agree. But. As you have done here with this book and with your work and with your life, I mean, you you just do the best you can with what you have. That's it. Yeah, yeah that's all you can do. That's it. Well, the book is the book is called Begin by Telling, as we've I've mentioned uh, to people already. Uh, it's out on uh, Book Hug Press. Meg, where what's the best? Where can people go to find out more about you, your work, this book? Where would you want to send them oh, in terms of? I don't know, like, Google or something. Google, <laughs> Google, yeah. Book okay, Hug, we'll just, Book Hug has a website, and there's yeah. you know they've got like a little 
page about the book and all that, and you can order the book there. Also, I know if you live in Toronto, Toronto Public Library has it. Yeah. And um, you could, if you live elsewhere, you could ask your library to get it so that you can take it out and other people can. Bookhugpress.ca is the website for the book. By the way, you mentioned the Toronto Public Library. Yeah. If I'm correct, you think... The Toronto Public Library and the Cambridge Public Library, the suppliers of workspace research materials and photocopiers. I grew up telling everyone, because I'm from Cambridge, that the Cambridge Public Library... Cambridge Mass? Oh, that was Cambridge, Massachusetts. <laughs> uh, okay, never mind. I thought you were just commuting back and forth from Toronto to Cambridge, Ontario. No, they're close by. I wish. Okay, never mind. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> you were you're talking about the Cambridge Public Library, of Massachusetts. Yeah. How, embar- how embarrassing for me and my Cambridge, Ontario pride. <laughs> I thought I thought you were maybe about just like Harvard, baby. No, oh, I didn't. I, I didn't clue in. I thought you were like, I need to get out of Toronto. I'll go to a different city. That's I nearby. did. I went to. I went to. I went to Cambridge. Well, Cassie lives to... there. So Cassie oh, right. Right. lives there, and she wants. She went on vacation, and so she was like, "If you want to come stay here, and you can work on the book, and library's close by, and then when I come back, we can go through what you've worked on." So I went and I stayed at her house for like two weeks, and that's where I started the book. How embarrassing! How embarrassing it's not for embarrassing. me! But... I got it's a, it's the same name. Maybe it's not that wrong that I thought there's that. Too anyway, ma- there's too many Cambridges. We know that there are, there are. Yeah, uh, you've kind of alluded to the fact that you're working on music, yeah. but it's, I assume it's too early to say what's next. You've got oh, you mentioned four shows as well. Where where, where yeah, and when are those? We play in Tamiskaming, uh, Toronto, Hamilton, and Victoria. Oh wow! And yeah. that's in September. You said yeah. And okay, then cool. uh, my record will be out, or the some the next U.S. Girls record will be out in 2022. Oh, like it's that far along? Like it's yeah. it's for sure. Oh, great! Yeah, yeah. Wait, is it is sorry? Is it done? No, it's close to though. Okay. I mean, it needs to okay. be mixed, but it's 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 a record. The artwork's nice. done. Oh, I'm excited! <laughs> I, I'm excited to I, I, that's that's exciting. I'm yeah. excited. Congratulations. We'll end in, uh, on the same note. Yes. Now, normally I would go out on a song, uh, you know, when I'm talking to a musician. Yeah. Uh, as you know, I think you've been on the show many times, like uh, we throw to a song. This is a different circumstance in a sense that we're talking about your book, but we have alluded to at least one song that might be um, related okay. to it in a sense. But is there, do you want to go? We don't have to. I just thought, do you want to, is there a song do you want to go out on from U.S. Girls that makes sense? Woodstock 99. Okay, well, there's another relevant one. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Well, I feel like you picked that. Honestly, did I pick I that last time? That. I think you did. Damn, it's my favorite song. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's, it's it's re- it's relevant to the conversation. <laughs> play it on again. A few different, on a few different levels. So let's play it again. This yeah. is, I think, I might be wrong, but I think that's what we did. Woodstock '99 from the uh, amazing, amazing U.S. Girls record. Uh, Heavy Light, uh, which is available. It has been available for quite some... It came, what, it came out in 2020, right? It's been yeah. out a little while. Yeah. So let's go Let's go to that now. And uh, Meg, uh, uh, you know, I don't m- mean to make you uncomfortable, but I love you very much. I thank you for doing all of the work you do in this book. And, and I wish you... I hope we talk again, and I wish you the best of luck with everything in the future. Thank you, Vish. Love you as well. You've got your mother and I got mine Slept with yours at the very same time as us Seeking comfort from the bodies we were once inside 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm always tremendously grateful uh, that Meg Remy gives me any time at all, but it was especially meaningful for me to spend time with her talking about this book on uh, this, the 632nd episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Thanks, Meg. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, For those of you who aren't Meg, 
If you can't find an episode you're looking for, and if you want to learn more about me, sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at vishcreative, or follow me directly on Twitter or Instagram, and Instagram, both, I guess, at vishkana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash Control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this podcast. $6 or more grants you access to exclusive content. And if you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt in either maroon or yellow, please message me on Patreon and I'll get you one while supplies last. Thanks again to the fine Alberta record retailer Blackbird Music, which you can learn more about at blackbird.ca. And also to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, for their in-kind support for this show. Uh, Thanks, as always, to my friend Jim Guthrie for letting me use some music of his on the show. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with with Meg. I hope hope it was helpful in some way. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, And we'll check out Meg's book, Begin by Telling. It's uh, startling and necessary reading, if you ask me. And so, yeah, thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like uh, to follow the show on a regular basis, you could subscribe to the Creative Control Podcast however you listen to the show. Subscribe or follow, I suppose. Also, talk to your friends about the show and maybe uh, get them to check it out and uh, spread the word about it if you can. But if not, you don't have to do anything. Thank you for getting this far into this episode, and I will talk to you hopefully very soon. Bye for now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.